Hello, you're listening to a new episode of The Water Scientists, the podcast of KWR Water Research Institute in which we get to the bottom of difficult water questions. My name is Tim. And I'm Andrew, and in this episode we ask Patrick Smeet, Senior Scientific Researcher in Microbiological Water Quality and Health, the question, can we continue to provide chlorine-free water when we need to reuse wastewater? Welcome, Patrick. Hi, thanks for being here. Well, first of all, why do we need to reuse wastewater? Well, you wouldn't guess, but even in the Netherlands, known for its rainfall, we still have a shortage of water, which may be locally, which may be temporal due to droughts. But yeah, wastewater is one of the sources that we have to consider for continuing to provide sufficient water for all purposes. Yeah. yeah. And, and how is it possible that Dutch drinking water companies can produce chlorine-free drinking water? Yeah, that's, that's a historical grown situation where um, traditionally we would have groundwater where we would never put in chlorine because it was very clean by itself. Mm-hmm. And in the 70s, by that time, we had to do surface water and there were some supplies with chlorine in there. And there were two disadvantages. One is that the taste and odor was not very attractive. And the second one was that um, you might form disinfection byproducts, which are not good for your health. So from that point on, there was a Dutch strategy to say, well, all the water in the Netherlands should be chlorine-free and we're going to use a um, approach that provides good quality water to all the citizens. Okay, so you've obviously had a lot of experience as the Dutch with with producing this chlorine-free water, but what are some of the possible obstacles to to the use of chlorine-free water? So there's two challenges. The first challenge is, of course, that you have to have clean water that you're putting into your distribution system and if you look at the Netherlands which is in a delta and which has to produce water from rivers which are always somewhat contaminated we need a um, very safe and risk-based approach to make safe water and we've we've built a lot of experience with that um, throughout the years making sure that we have enough processes to to make the water safe so if you put it into a distribution system and it's free of pathogenics or disease-causing microorganisms, you just have to keep it safe within the distribution network. And for that, we have a, a good situation in the Netherlands where our distribution network is of very high quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a very dense population. And so we have very little leakage. And we also pressurize the, the distribution system. So if there is a leak, water will always flow out. And through this, we are able to, to provide uh, safe water to most people, even without using chlorine in the system, which would otherwise be necessary to kill any intrusion of bacteria or viruses or something. You explained a bit uh, about uh, preventing contamination. Um, can you tell a bit more about monitoring? Yeah, so, of course, um, the distribution system is a very large mm-hmm. system throughout the whole world, and it's a challenge to keep it... Um, safe also have if you have to do works for example repairs or put in new pipes and there can also be people connecting to the system in the wrong way that would would pollute the water so you always still need monitoring to make sure it's safe and one challenge is that if you're talking about bacteria that you're talking about very low concentrations Um, so you have to have quite a sensitive method and traditionally for bacteria that means you culture them so you have to bring it to a lab and you have to put them in nice conditions so they grow, and then you can say, look, they're there. 
and that takes about two days, which is a very slow method. So over the past years, we've um, developed other methods which are much more rapid. They look at the DNA in the water, so it's uh, an RT-PCR method, as we say, for, um, for E. coli, for example. Um, but we're also diversifying into other methods, looking at other microorganisms, for example, viruses, because they may behave very differently or be present in very different numbers in your contamination. So we're looking, um, we're constantly developing to monitor faster, but also address other shortcomings of the traditional methods which are normally uh, used. And so monitoring is very important. The source is very important. I can imagine it's easier to make chlorine-free water from groundwater that's clean than from river water, for example. But then wastewater, wastewater using, reusing wastewater is obviously even more difficult. Um, with the circular economy, we're trying to make a, tr a transition to more water reuse. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering how chlorine-free drinking water can combine or can contribute to safe um, water re reuse. Yeah, so basically the the risk-based approach in the Netherlands would be to choose your best source, of course, your cleanest source. But as we said, we don't always have that clean source available. Um, and also in, in other contexts, other countries where water may be even more scarce. So and then the question is, can you still provide safe drinking water if you have no chlorine? And basically the concept is that chlorine in your distribution system is not part of your treatment system. So technically it's possible to make safe drinking water out of any source. There's a lot of treatment steps and you can want to do that smartly. But then, and then at the second stage in the distribution system, it's basically the same as using groundwater. You can produce that quality of water. A second challenge is that besides the com microbial contamination, you may also have microbial growth in a network, which can lead to nasty pathogens, for example, Legionella, I think is the, the most well-known. Mm -hmm. And for that, you not only have to control uh, the microorganisms in the wastewater, but also the um, growth-promoting substances that typically will also be much higher in, in wastewater than in groundwater. So for that, um, we also do a lot of, of research to really understand which compounds in the water are actually growth-promoting and actually promoting um, growth of bacteria that, that might form a concern, so that we can target your treatment to take out these compounds. Mm -hmm. Because it's good to realize that the whole that drinking water is not a sterile water. You know, no. it's, a, it's a living community. It's kind of, it's really a natural system. And um, that's also why I want, want to keep it that way without... Uh, in keeping out the chlorine. Yeah, so, but basically as long as the, the water that enters the distribution system is of the right quality, you can distribute it chlorine-free, that's the... Well, if you manage the, the distribution system correctly, so it's besides the water quality you put in, you also have to make sure that you don't have too much leakage, that you always have a positive pressure, which is also easier in the Netherlands because we're such a flat country. Uh, we don't have negative pressures that challenges that you might have in a in a hilly country where you could create those uh, conditions but also you have to have good training of your your employees that have to be aware that anything they contaminate will affect the water quality because there's no more barrier between them and the client to uh, to take out any contaminants 
Yeah, so you, you mentioned the, the pressure differences, but you also mentioned Legionella. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, with things, changes like climate change or countries that are naturally warmer, do these present other challenges to chlorine, chlorine free uh, distribution? And are there solutions to these challenges? Yes, so indeed, it's uh, also a reason for some countries that have a higher climate or a higher temperature in the in their of their drinking water through various reasons to to dose chlorine to control the growth of those um, nasty uh, bacteria. And what we are trying to understand more and more and doing our research on is how these microbial communities within a distribution system respond to temperature changes, but also to the uh, compounds in the water so that we can see if we can still manage that growth even at a higher temperature. Despite these challenges in warmer countries and that sort of thing, I've understood that um, interest in chlorine-free distribution is growing internationally, for example, um, because of public interest uh, for natural or more healthy food and water. Can you give some examples of where this is being introduced? Yeah, so a good example, I think, is New Zealand, where we uh, supported the government with their development of new legislation, which allows the drinking water companies to distribute water without chlorine. So there's a strong political drive, so a strong public drive for people that, that don't want chlorine in their water anymore. And then the question is, how can you implement that safely? What, what are the requirements? Because... Um, you know, it, it's the, the current system has always relied on chlorine. And there we worked together with um, the New Zealand government, but also experts from Australia, Canada and the US to provide an example or a, a, how you call it, more of a, a benchmark or a minimum requirement of what has to be in place to allow um, this model or this concept of chlorine free water to be implemented safely mm -hmm. which extends as a you know not only the infrastructure it's not only the water quality and it's not only the infrastructure and the quality of the piping but also the knowledge of the people working on the pipes but also the house connections whether there's uh, there's safety there or whether there's a risk of cross connections mm -hmm. which bring back contaminated water into the system and that latter is also a concern of us because with climate change mitigation and water shortage mitigation people are more experimenting with rainwater we uh, use in the house or at a larger scale or their own grey water reuse systems so you see a lot more um, of this equipment coming into houses mm -hmm. so people are buying pumps and have reservoirs and um, but still they will use the drinking water network as a backup so the, that risk of cross-contamination is something to address. And for example, in the Netherlands, we have good legislation on every household having to have a backflow prevention. Mm -hmm. um, but this is not always the case everywhere else. No. So it, it goes from very high level water quality, things that you can control centrally to, you know, even housing legislation, how to prevent um, riskful situations. And that's in New Zealand, but there are also some other countries where you've... Yes, yeah, so also within Europe you see um, an increase. Uh, Germany and, and Denmark are already the, um, not using chlorine in, in several uh, systems. I know in Canada they're increasingly looking into uh, chlorine-free systems, whether it's possible. 
And even in the US, you see that groundwater supplies, which are considered safe, they don't uh, require chlorine anymore, which is a slightly different approach from what we have here. But, um, but yeah, you see that there is an in increasing interest worldwide. So we've talked about uh, 50 years of uh, Dutch history. We've talked about the uh, things that we're doing uh, today. So let's take a look into the future as a final question. Um, what do you want to achieve in the coming like five or, or 10 years? Or what, what do you see that's going to happen? Well, I think in general, what we see is that um, the diff there's the difference between drinking water, wastewater and other kinds of water. It's they're more common, becoming aware of the whole cycle. Mm -hmm. And it's targeting, making small, smart interventions at the right place in the cycle to make sure you have the water qualities at the places that you, uh, the right quality at the place that you need them mm -hmm. and, and the safety level that you need. Um, and things we are looking into is now is also how to respond to emergencies to when it goes wrong, because, you know, things will always go wrong where we're moving away from traditional methods, which were lab-based, which were slow, to more rapid methods. For example, development of sensors, which either can automatically monitor or measure microorganisms more rapidly, or that measure other aspects of the water, which could uh, trigger an alarm. And combining that through hydroinformatics with modeling of the spread of the contaminant and the fate of the contaminant throughout the network, not only to, to know which people to protect and how to protect them, but also to find the source of, the, of that. And, and at the moment we're working in a European project, uh, Pathocert, uh, together with other European partners to really develop that further. In this uh, episode, we asked Patrick Smeets, can we continue to provide chlorine-free water when we need to reuse wastewater? Yes, and we found that uh, there's growing public interest internationally for more natural, healthy food and water. Chlorine-free drink water, drinking water distribution is one important aspect. And to achieve this, an integrated approach is needed with the monitoring and that sort of thing. Definitely when it comes to sources like wastewater, in the Netherlands we've had, we have 50 years experience with this and we're also currently supporting other countries to make, make it feasible in their specific contexts. Thank you for listening to The Water Scientists. You can go to kwrwater.nl slash podcast to subscribe via your favorite podcast app. If you have a difficult water question of your own, feel free to send it to info at kwrwater.nl. Next time we'll be back with another difficult question and a smart water scientist. Goodbye.